All right, KISS Army, welcome to the KISS FAQ Podcast. Thank you for giving us your time today. I don't think it's into your head. I hope you don't do any damage. This is a KISS-related podcast by the board for the board. We hope that you enjoy. Welcome to episode 106 of the KISS FAQ Podcast. I'm your host today, Julian Gill, admin on the FAQ message board, and I am joined by 69th Blizzard, Ken, and Marcus Almighty. Mark, gentlemen, Greetings. this is our fir- actually our first show of the new year, even though we had a show up uh, last year that had been in the can, I mean last week, that had been in the can for a little bit. So, happy new year to everyone. We appreciate your support over the last year listening to our show. Um... And here's to what this year may hold for KISS and for us. So we're going to jump straight into today's topic. I, there's no news at this point uh, that's really worth worthy of comment. Um, there is some rumor shit floating around on the boards, which I will just say is rumor shit and is better, better left as rumor and as shit. Um, I'm not even going to mention what it is, but you know what it is. Our topic today is, well, Mark's here. And, you know, sometimes Mark gets a little bit of heat, uh, shall we say. Is that a polite way of putting it, Mark? Um, for for your yeah. opinions on Destroyer and not holding it up and having an illumination of light and angelic singing and harps going when you hold it. It doesn't do it for you. Um, you know, before we get into today's topic, you know, just give everyone out there a little bit of a recap of your opinion of Destroyer of an Album, and then that'll segue nicely into today's episode. Well, um, as many of you probably know, who've seen prior episodes, like Julian mentioned, I am not a fan of the record. Now, let me clarify a couple things. Number one, I think the main problem with the record is Bob Ezrin. I don't like his style of production on this record, nor on any of the other Kiss albums. As much as I do like Revenge, I still don't think that he did such a great job on that as well either. But mainly for Destroyer, I I just don't think that his production style suits this this, this music that they've come up with for the record. And really... I, I I think that there's been other records that he's done with other bands like Floyd and with Alice Cooper, and I think it works fine. But for me, Kiss is a rock band. You know, they're raw and dirty, and Bob Ezrin's all about the spit shine and polish, and you know the orchestras and the strings, and that just to me just doesn't fit with Kiss. So that's why whenever I see the name Bob Ezrin and Kiss beside it, I cringe. I want to go get a bucket and puke into it. Because I just can't imagine that anything good will come of it when this man is involved with a KISS record. So basically, in a nutshell, that's why I think the way I do when it comes to Bob Ezrin and KISS and so Destroyer it, specifically. So it's really that he takes them too far away from hard rock and just rock and roll and that he turns them into something that mm-hmm. they're not. Is Would that be a fair way of putting it for you? Yeah, exactly. That's pretty much in a nutshell why I think of it. We can go into more detail, but that's really the the basis of it. So it's kind of like a girl with makeup, you know, looks wonderful in the bar through the beer goggles, and then you wake up in the morning and the makeup's gone and the beer's worn off, and that's the kiss. Perfect. That, that's the kiss that we prefer, uh, the rough one, not the tarted up. Uh. <laughs> 
I, I like the one that doesn't need the makeup to look good. Yeah, some don't need the makeup. So, yeah. Exactly. So exactly. that that leads us into today's topic, which, you know, it's kind of a play on, you know, for collectors out there, you will have seen the trade advert um, for the album that would be Destroyer soon after live, the next one. And at that point, it was very much an unknown, at least, you know, to anyone out there, where they were going to go. And it's the question is, you know, what if in 1975, after the, or in, in parallel with Alive, Bob Bezrin did not produce the next studio album from Kiss, so the, their fourth studio album? And what we have, you know, from that time period is all the magnographic demos that um, it, 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 it varies how these have been explained. If you look in J.R. Smalling's section in uh, the original Chris Cruise, uh, Chris that just doesn't sound right, Chris <laughs> Road Cruise, Kiss. yeah, Kiss Road Cruise, um, you know, book, that these are basically <laughs> recorded with Paul, Gene, Ace, and J.R. Smalling, um, you know, as a kind of smorgasbord to present to... Bob Ezrin to choose what material would be recorded for that next album. Obviously, it varies. Uh, James Campion, in his book, you know, kind of gives it more that these are fall under more of a boot camp kind of situation. I, I kind of disagree with that a little bit since we've got rehearsals of King of the Nighttime World, Detroit Rock City, and Sweet Pain, which sound more to me like the boot camp kind of situation where they're trying different things with the arrangements and these songs once Bob has his hooks into them. So what we're going to do is go back and listen to some of these and, um, you know, do a what if Bob Ezrin isn't involved. I, I, I think it's pretty clear, number one, with the amount of writing credits that Bob gets on Destroyer as it was, is that we've got a completely different album. Um, so why don't we jump into some music? I'm going to play a bit of, you know, what do we want to start off with? Um, I hope you guys have good notes because I'm going to flip all well, the noise. I have like a song listing of what the album would be in and in order. So, uh, well, let's start off. With I mean, first. my first my first one would have been Smoke. You know? All right, we'll go with your first one then. So, you know, <laughs> the first one off these off these magnographic demos, and I I may well mix up um, how I speak about these today, so I do apologize in mm -hmm. advance. Uh, it ain't the smoke that burns you. Let's play a little bit of that. I know better when I wanna get her. enough of Backman Turner Overdrive. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it has a little of that, but it has, uh, to me, it has the, you know, a Stonesy, Stonesy feel. It has that strutter. Uh, Absolutely. Kind of and that's where, that's why I thought, well, it's like a strutter kind of in a way I would have, lead, you know, let it off just like they let off the first Kiss album. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, for me, when I first heard that song and I've been listening to it over the last couple of days, 
this is one of the rare songs from this collection of songs that we're going to talk about that I right away thought that, you know, they could have used it and probably would have needed Bob minimally, I think, for it to be a decent Kiss song. I think that it's pretty much there, you know, if they just got somebody who would, you know, who could record it decently and make it sound awesome, I think it's pretty much there. Maybe just a little bit of things here and there that he could work on in the studio, but I think it's pretty much the, the probably the, the song that needs the least input from Bob. In yeah, my yeah, I totally agree with you that this song is is nearly all there. I mean, it needs a little tightening up here and there. One thing that strikes sure. me on that demo recording is some of the guitar effects that they've got going. They've almost got a a, a wah pedal. It sounds like in in certain parts or mm. or something else going on there that they're you know. So they put some effort into recording. Actually, not just a quick and dirty demo when they've got some of those sounds going on with it. Um, I, I I would just love. I mean, obviously the quality of the demos that I'm going to play today is not studio quality like you'll get on the let's say the Kiss box set with "Don't You Hesitate." You know, just imagine sure. hearing that and all the nuances. But it seems to be a fully fleshed thing that doesn't need Ezrin's caress. So, and it's mm-hmm. a and like "Don't You Hesitate." It's a natural kind of progression from "Dress to Kill" in terms of their sound. It's you know, mm-hmm. obviously not quite the same, but very close to Dress to Kill. So for both of you, here's here's a question before we go into maybe Don't You Hesitate is, do you think they would have just pretty much done the same thing as Dress to Kill for their next album had they not had, you know, the savant Ezrin caressing their music? No. I mean, I think they would have tried to progress their music uh, and keep it more in tune with uh, Alive, since Alive is, you know, their hit album uh, just before it. So I'm thinking they're going to continue and keep. They're gonna they're gonna use Eddie Kramer. You know, if they didn't get Bob, I think they go with Eddie Kramer, and he would have <clears throat> made it more. All it may have been a good precursor to, uh, you know, <coughs> Rock and Roll Over, which you know is. You know, perfection for the sound of Kiss, in my opinion. So I think he would have, you know, it would have been maybe close to a rock and roll over sound, but I'm thinking he wouldn't have had it yet. But I think he would be the person to produce. Well, um, I think it's pretty safe to say that they probably would have went back to Eddie Kramer, although I know a lot of the times Jack Douglas's name was floating around circles at that point too so it would be nice to think that maybe he would have had maybe a chance of stepping in there as well now both of them to me sort of have the same uh outlook i think where they take the stuff that they got given to them and try to sonically make it into something really decent i mean eddie kramer is just renowned for getting incredible guitar sounds and mm. drum sounds and he more than anything he's always been credited as being the person who could make musicians comfortable and feel comfortable in that studio environment, which I think is very important for a band like Kiss, especially for someone like Ace, right? So if anything, I think what would have probably happened with this is that they probably would have tried to, you know, move it up a notch with their writing. Every every musician I feel kind of does that. They naturally want to progress as writers and try to improve themselves. And I just think that he would have focused on making it sound sonically very strong. And he would have also focused on more likely just adding in a little bit of Eddie Kramer quirks into it that he usually does, you know, maybe a little bit of backward guitar solo, some effects here and there, 
But I think that he wouldn't. They wouldn't have touched it. They would have left it the way it was and just worked on making it sound really full and dynamic audio-wise. So I mean, you've mentioned Eddie Kramer as a as a producer, and that like immediately makes me think. Well, he's not really a producer. He's more of an engineer. Yeah, I mean, he's the sound guy. You know, he he's able to get that stuff on the tape rather than I, I always see. You know, Bob Ezrin being more of a producer and someone who takes like the bigger picture of the canvas, the final canvas, and painting all the layers on it. You know, whereas Eddie Kramer is kind of more interested in mixing the paints. You know, getting the right colors. So, I mean, that's a pretty dreadful analogy, but that's the best way from a non-technical point of view that I can really explain how I see the difference between those two gentlemen. Um, would there have been any other kind of producers from this era that you think that they should have thought about? Obviously, I don't think they would have gone back to Neil Bogart. Um, they had been working with Eddie, which kind of gives him a foot in the door already. But uh, what about the guys who produced Sabbath or Deep Purple or Kansas or, you know, any of the, you've already mentioned Jack Douglas. Do you think any of these other producers, you know, would have been kind of worthy of Kiss working with a bit more honest to what they were doing musically? Ken, are there any that jump out from you? I mean, you were, you know, listening to music back then versus me who, you know, was listening to. Bonnie M or shit like that yeah. in England. So, uh, yeah, I'm just trying to think who else I would have liked to hear. I mean, uh, sound wise, that, that would make them more, you know, their live sound, raw sound, or um, maybe something. I don't even know who was producing the. Uh, I don't know. Was producing Deep Purple back then. Martin Martin Birch was doing a lot of that. Oh, stuff. okay. Birch, yeah. So maybe something like Martin Birch or, you know, somewhere in that area um, uh, to do them. Um, well, know, I, again, we don't want to polish them up at all. So cause we're kind of keeping away from the Ezrin thing. Um, so and they shouldn't be polished kiss anyway. So I'm sure Mark Mark is knows a lot of the producers back then, more so than me. Well, but, but you know, Martin Birch is an interesting a selection mainly for one reason um in reading paul stanley's book and knowing the love of british music that he has in general that wouldn't have been such an odd selection if you think about it maybe it made it might have even made him excited in having the thought of having somebody from his you know childhood that he loves that kind of style of music to maybe work on that kind of stuff it almost to me seems like the same thing like with Iron Maiden, where Iron Maiden said, well, we wanted to have Martin Birch, but we never thought that he would want to do it with us. You know what I mean? They almost, there's almost like a right. we're, we're intimidated to ask them kind of thing, right? <laughs> where I think that maybe they could have used him, you know? Why not? Or or even like somebody like Todd, like a Todd Rundgren or somebody who is somebody oh, who, who could, yeah. who's a really good producer, too, who could have stepped in. And what I like about Rundgren is that he's one of those kind of guys who's a no-nonsense guy, where he'd be like, "Okay, guys, listen, let's like what like what he did with Meatloaf, like, okay, guys, let's stop fiddling around with 17 yeah. bars of barbershop singing. Let's just narrow it down to four bars, this and this." And he could really take a song and shape it decently and still make it sound cool. I mean, I, most of the stuff that Rundgren's involved with, I've loved too. So I think those two guys would be a good uh, other selection to put into the hat as well for it, right? Yeah, Martin Birch is a, is an interesting character. I mean, 75, I'm just quickly looking up on Wiki for some of the stuff he did that year. He did Deep mm. Purple's Come Taste the Band, 
which okay. you know it's post Stormbringer, so oh. it's kind of declined from that high point with Coverdale. I love it. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm Stormbringer. Um, and for me, one I love, Richie Blackmore's Rainbow. You know, holy shit, that's a great song. Oh, yeah. And that's just, a, a, good just a fantastic album from start to finish. Yeah. So, you know, those are both pretty good, uh, you know, albums. But would he have, was he working out of England? Would he come to the States? And all that sort of situation back then. It was very territorial, right. I think, that's... in the 70s. You know, travel, did add stuff. So I think he's probably exactly. UK-based, and there's no way Casablanca would have been able to afford to send the band out there or fly him out. So, you know, that, that's a good one. I mean, Sabbath, obviously, what were they doing in 75? I don't think we mm. really want to go there because, what are they, technical ecstasy by then? Um, uh, that's actually, isn't that sabotage and stuff like that at that point? 74 was Sabbath, bloody Sabbath. So yeah, I think it would have been sabotage at that point. Yeah, I got to look that. You know, that's how much I'm into Sabbath. Is I got to look it up to see what album came. You know, they came out in '75, '76. So uh, '75. Damn it, my mouse is malfunctioning. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's sabotage. You're right, sabotage, and uh, technical was '76. So you know, not sabotage is. You know, probably bleed. It's all right. You know, it's their last kind of really good album because. They kind of lost the plot the next one. Oh, am I going mm-hmm. insane? Good song. So, <laughs> who produced it? Will Malone. Um, yeah. And Mike Butcher co-produced Robin Black, engineer. Sure. So, I don't know if those sounds work. Earlier sounds for Sabbath, perhaps. But that's not sort of the band Kiss really was. I mean, back then, we would probably be talking more about who produced BTO or who produced Free, you know. And we get back pretty much Eddie Kramer is it. And I've said it before, just imagine if Dress to Kill sounded like Rock and Roll Over. It would, you know, be a damn sight better mm. album for me personally mm. than where it fits. Um, so that's producers, I guess. It, it really does fall to Eddie Kramer, which means that they're not going to get the help with the material, which takes us to our next demo. And here's a bit of Don't You Hesitate off the box set. Don't you hesitate? Obviously, of Kiss's 2001 box set. You know, one thing that always struck me with that song was it's complete. It, I mean, it's there. It's poppy. It's again. I think Ken said it earlier when we we're talking about um, it ain't the smoke. Is that it's kind of strutterish. You know, it's just straightforward pop rock. Like mm-hmm. Paul Stanley thinking, well, what would Neil Bogart want me to write that's catchy? Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and and write then and there. And, you know, I don't see any reason why, with a bit of a tougher sound, because that ha- sounds too much like Dress to Kill to me, mm. it, it could not have been a better song. What's your take on that, Ken? Yeah, I mean, that song is, if, that, if it was passed up, it could, it could almost be a single. Um, and, uh, the, you know, it has a lot of, you know, the riffage going on in it. Um, that's just, just cool. It's, it's like you said, Bachman Turner Overdrive. It does has, it has that kind of, uh, you know, 
chord patterns that they were using, I think, in, in, in their songs um, to try to make it uh, radio friendly uh, for the music that was on the radio at that time. Um, so that song is a good song. And I think, yeah, if it would have been, you know, these are all demos, of course, if they're properly produced and cleaned up and maybe restructured slightly, you know, in certain areas, uh, it turned out to be a pretty darn good song. And would, maybe, like I said, single worthy. So would it make your 1976 Kiss album? Hesitate does make my, uh, yep, it's number four on my on the first side of the album. Yep. <laughs> As they say, every band needs a radio-friendly unit shifter. Mark, what do you think of Don't You Hesitate? Um, well, again, I think it's another one of those songs that's pretty complete. The thing that I what I noticed, though, when I was listening to it is that at this point, it seems like Paul is kind of in this kind of box where he kind of writes like, you know, like that smoke song and then this one here where he kind of has that then and then and then it's very 12-bar-ish mm-hmm. that he does. Yeah. And what where a producer or somebody might come in handy is to kind of get him to not always think in that box and kind of try to vary his writing a little bit. I mean, if you listen to like like the Love Gun album, all of the songs that he wrote on there, there's a bit of variation. Love Gun, da 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 da. There's a bit of a rhythmic thing there. Then that's different from I Stole Your Love. That's different from you know Tomorrow and Tonight. There's differences within his writing there right now, just with these two songs. And mind you, it's only these two. There seems to be very much brother and sister in the way he wrote them almost, right? And that's where you have to kind of be careful when you're writing because you don't want to have, you know, five songs on an album that all have that kind of rhythmical aspect to it. And it's just like, you know, we know what we're going to expect next when we hear a Paul like song. Like ACDC? Yeah. It's, well, yeah. But, you know, but, I mean, but, that's, but that's but... it. Yeah, it worked for them. But yeah. there is also differences. I mean, you can't say the beginning of you know, shook me all night long is the same as the beginning of For Those sure. About to Rock. There's no, something yeah. different in there, right? Yeah, exactly. It's just yeah. the meat of it is the same, right? Yeah. But, yeah. He, but that's what I'm saying. Just his riffage, he has a tendency to do that in there, and that always seems to appear. So if he can kind of curtail that a little bit and maybe not put it as much into other songs, it would help the writing of the song in general. Yeah, I, I think one thing that you you call it twelve barish, I call it happy crappy. You know, it, it's just <laughs> it's just too damn happy. Some of Paul's stuff, you know, and it it does have that kind of thing. You suddenly start moving your head, and they, like shit, this is rock and roll, man. You're supposed to be yeah, gotta go stomp some kittens. And Paul's stuff is just <laughs> it's just too happy. I mean, that ne- that needs to be scrubbed down with some sandpaper and have some you know well, they can... gasoline poured on it. I mean, he could have instead of the you know da na 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 na. I mean, just da, and you know, shorten it just the longer chords, you know, and just break it down into more you know power chords instead of the that yeah. part. And, you know, but make that's it a little tougher or different, or different, you know, from the other song. But, the, but that's what I'm saying. That's where yeah. somebody like a Kramer or an Ezrin or somebody or a producer in general would tell. would step in and say, "Listen, that's a good part, but let's get Ace to maybe do this." And you do you right. hold a chord and instead of this and that and you know but break it up like and they were doing that even in some of their prior records like on Drastic Hill they were already doing stuff like that so it's possible right that's why it's a demo it's not final product yeah and and I, I think within the context of the discussion is that we've got to take these demos pretty much at face value 
because you don't have Ezra in there. We've taken him out of the equation. So you're not going to have someone telling them, well, what about if you lengthen this? And, you know, yeah. it's going to be minimal input from Eddie Kramer, um, you know, not enough for him to get his name on a songwriting credit. And that's the big difference, I think, with it, within going into, you know, a 1976 album for Kiss is that you're not going to have you know, nine songs on an album, seven of them with, you know, Bob Ezrin co-writes, because it's all going to be just what the band themselves have done with maybe a little bit of tweaking. A producer, like we said at the beginning of the show, really, will make suggestions about arrangement and tightening and whatnot. But Bob does a lot more than that, which is why he gets his name on the albums rather than just on the cover as producer. So... um you know, don't you hesitate? That's what you get. So that's mm -hmm. that's going on the album pretty much as is. Let's get into a Gene song. We started off with two Paul ones. Um, I'm going to stay on the box set for now, uh, just because of quality. And let's go with Mad Dog. Play a bit of that. <laughs> Too much more of that, or I'll get flagged by Universal when I put this up on YouTube and have to share ad revenue with them. Yeah, um, <laughs> you know, I when the box set came out, I had never heard um, that demo, and I I love Gene singing on it. The style of his delivery, mm -hmm. it, it's kind of halfway between natural voice and getting towards uh, you know Cookie Monster. So it's a nice balance between the two extremes of Gene, kind of that he that he puts out. The guy is a great singer. He can deliver oh, yeah. a really good at attitude and an atmosphere in a song. Obviously, it's clear why Bob took parts of that song and recycled it, you know, for Destroyer uh, and Flaming Youth. I think it was uh, tail end of that. But I don't think there's a song there that you know that's going on a 1975 album. It's just it's unrealized. It's incomplete. Mm. It doesn't seem to have any direction. It ambles. It's aimless, yeah. even though it's got some very cool kind of melody and phrases. Mm -hmm. So maybe he would have been able to finish it in time to record it. Maybe not. Mark, what do you think of Mad Dog? Well, see, I've kind of uh, over the years kind of I think I figured out Gene Simmons's writing approach and I kind of think I understand what he's doing here because remember when he had that famous comment that he said to Ace I write a song every day and I can write like a hundred songs in a month or something and Ace is like well I only write a couple but they're good right <laughs> and, but but it's because I understand what Gene's doing now He's the kind of guy who has like a little four-track machine. I think he said this a hundred times already. He has a little four-track and he does his demos on that at home a lot. Now, basically, he's the kind of guy who has a guitar by his sofa. He's fiddling around, talking with whoever, and all of a sudden he comes up with a riff and he's like, oh, I like that. Boom, he goes downstairs, plugs in his thing, doesn't even bother to get any decent sounds or nothing, just has like a real basic drum beat and puts down his idea. Because for him... He's an ideas person, I find. He's not so much a songwriter, because when I find that when Paul writes a song, he puts more effort, 
I find, into making it more of a whole constructed piece. Whereas I think Gene just goes in there, fires off the idea that just came to him, and then maybe thinks of something else. And it's always one idea that comes to him that's a great idea, and then the rest of it he just uses just to fill in whatever, just to put his idea down. And that's why I find that Ezrin or these people take pieces from his stuff, because they always seem to find that piece that maybe was the Eureka moment on the sofa, and take that, and the rest of it, they just know it's just garbage that he just put in just to finish writing it. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something horrible here. The Gene songs are like a chocolate chip cookie. In every bite, you don't get that chocolate chip, but occasionally you get several chocolate chips in one bite. <laughs> so, you know, there, there are those little ideas. Oh God, do I sound like Paul Stanley? Um, <laughs> Ken, what do you think about that? Um, yeah, I agree with Mark, and uh, you know, I was thinking that 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 song is is in particular. It was where Bob Ezrin had seen it or saw the song. It's like I only like that one part of the song, or it seems to play the whole time. Let's throw it in Flaming Youth, you know, as a part of the breakdown or whatever. Um, so I, obviously, Bob Ezrin knew that. That's that song just the way it was. It was not going to work, but he was, you know, had insight to like, well, I like that little riff you got in there. Let's throw that in this other song and and use it there. So, yeah, there's that's an incomplete song. Uh, I I did not put that on my uh, ten song album. So that yeah, that missed a cut for me. Okay, let's uh, go into one that I'm sure will end up on everyone's version of the album. And you got something about of thunder original kind of uh yeah. arrangements and you gotta say there must have been a lot of cocaine around in the 70s because that was just too <laughs> damn fast or i am just way too used to um obviously the version that is imprinted on our brains but that is just so fast i mean that's faster than any of the stuff on dress to kill as well uh, the tempo is just you know it's like come on put the brakes on a little bit so but it's a good song, without a doubt. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a yeah. good song. It's just very Catch hard. It's in in terms of this discussion of taking Ezra, you know, taking Ezra out back and whacking him is, you know, I just don't see where that song would have gone had it not been for Bob persuading Paul to give it to Gene. So maybe either of you chaps have mm -hmm. a better view on it. Ken, what about what do you think? Could that have worked without Ezra? Yes, I think it would have worked without that. I mean, I think they should have, like I said, that one was a little fast. I, I prefer the um, Alive 2 speed of, uh, of God of Thunder versus the the Destroyer version um, or this version. So it, it kind of in between, um, I think it would have worked just fine. Um, and, yeah, I don't think they would have had the insight to say, hey, this we can change the lyrics to this and make it a Gene song, you know. 
uh, God of Thunder. They, I'm just thinking they, that would have never happened had Bob Ezrin not been there. So it would have stayed a Paul song, in my opinion. Uh, and it, it would have been on the album as my number two song on first side, actually. Yeah, well, I, I think as well. I think I think it would have made it. Um, I think Paul would have remained singing it. I think it would have been played slower, though, mainly because of the fact that I think Peter Chris, just in general, has a tendency to not play at that tempo and not do that sort of double time mm-hmm. thing on the hi hats. It just that just doesn't sound like Peter Chris to me at all, right? That sort of you know thing that they do on the hi hat. That's just not him, you know. And uh, I think it was J.R. Smalling who drummed on that. Did, so, right. so, so um, I would say that obviously I think the tempo would be a bit slower. Another thing that I think that would be changed for sure, producer or no producer, is I'm pretty sure that Gene would have said, there's no way in hell I'm singing those falsetto backup vocals in there. They would have probably have changed them there and made them more manly in approach and they probably would have, maybe they would have sang the same thing, but I think the tones of the voices would have been a bit different in that section in the chorus. And I think, you know, it may not be the God of Thunder that we've, you know, lived with for the last 40 years, but I think it still could have been a pretty catchy song. Um, and I think that they could have did pretty decently with it. Like I said, just those little minor things I could definitely see happening with it. And, uh, you know, it still would have been decent. Who knows if it would have been as good or as memorable as Gene's version. I think what is clear, you know, in listening to any of this stuff is that a good song is a good song is a good song, whether it's slightly different in its demo form, completely different in its demo form as is this case. It's a good song, even though, you know, we've you know maybe not so keen on those falsetto backing vocals. It's a little bit too queenish <laughs> for for the time um, and doesn't work with, for Kiss. Yeah, yeah. you know, it, it doesn't work. But the the nuts and bolts are there for that song. Let's get into, this is the last one off the box set, and um, Bad, Bad Lowen. biggest problem with this song apart from the fact it's another one that's very illustrative of mark's point about gene's writing method that he writes a lot of shit and takes good parts out of lots of different things this has Mm -hmm. a lot of good parts in it which is clear it's been recycled what five times bad bad loving there's versions going all the way up into the 80s of that but out of this comes calling dr love which is yeah. which is the toughest part. I mean, in getting rid of Ezrin, do we blow away rock and roll over? Doesn't happen as it does because I think they would probably have taken this riff at the beginning of the song that is calling Doctor Love and all that stuff, and build a song out of it. I think that would have ended up on an album. It's just too good a riff. It's so clear. It's it's just it's fully realized, and they would have pruned off all that shit on the bad bad loving kind of part. Um, so, Mark, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it is a scary thought because um, I really love Doctor Love on Rock and Roll Over. Rock and Roll Over, Rock and Roll Over being my uh, favorite uh, album, as we all know. So, it's kind of a weird thought to not have that on there. Now, of course, like you said, 
it is too good a riff to ignore at that point when they're writing a record your first instinct is to take all your strongest material and use it obviously so they would have used it um it's funny listening to it to try to imagine listening to that song for the first time and not ever having heard Dr. Love and to think if that chorus would have been catchy enough in that sense to say, yeah, this song sounds great. Because, I mean, when you hear it, when you hear that, you want to naturally just better break into the normal chorus and you're like, ugh, this one just doesn't sound as strong as Dr. Love. But you wouldn't have that, you know, A-B comparison at that point, right? Um but it's it's interesting. Again, I think it, it goes back to what we were talking about before. He had a strong idea. He put it down and then just put these other parts around it to kind of make it into a full-fledged song for presentation sense. But, you know, again, this this version of it, this song kind of reminds me of songs like Two Timer or Ladies in Waiting, where it seems like, again, there was this, there was a part that was really cool in each of those songs. But when it got to another certain part of the song, it got weak. It just got into like you know not even B-rated stuff, like C-rated riffs and just terrible lyrics at parts. You know that it just seems like he was just throwing stuff in for the sake of having a complete demo to present. You know where it's like okay, here's the introductory riff. This is really good. The chorus is okay, and then the rest of it is just you know whatever, just to fill in the blank. So yeah, I'm. I think it would have appeared on the record. But thankfully, it didn't, because I really loved the original Dr. Love. Yeah, it's a little bit cookie-cutter. Verse, chorus, verse, bridge, chorus, verse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I find the time change you know, between the verse and the chorus in this awkward. It doesn't work. You're going from yeah. a nice kind of rhythm yeah. and then into something... You're like, whoa, we've just gone off the tracks here. You know, so yeah. I guess that illustrates your point. Ken? Well, yeah, this song... First of all, it didn't make my my list. It wouldn't have made the album for me, um, though. I you know, I love the riff of the song, obviously, because that's just a great riff. Uh, as that turned out to be Doctor Love, so I'm hoping they would have thought, well, this is really not doesn't fit together, and they wouldn't have used it yet. And maybe then Gene down the road, we kept working at it to try to find the right song, and then finally come out with Doctor Love. Uh, the the actual song that ends up on rock and roll over so i'm gonna think that they we worked it later on or he did it fixed it up and got it working right uh that sounds you know complete um so yeah i wouldn't have used this on the album just even though it's just a great riff you know you can't you can't force it you know we got a great riff but if it's if you can't get that other stuff to work with it then don't force it on the album just leave it off and keep working at it, maybe for the next album. And if Bob Ezrin didn't like that riff enough to use it in some way, that just leaves yeah, me. That, that's a bit of a head scratcher for me. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. true. All right, next up Detroit Rock City. Yeah. 
I mean, that that's was cool. that's one of the ones that has such a different again a different feel from the final product is a completely different creature i just love the tempo on it and the kind of the chugging guitars i mean when (laughs) when i'm sitting here playing and i'm plugged in and just recording stuff that's kind of the tempo i'm going um the kind of gritty guitar sound i'm going for i just love it and that would be on my album as the opener without a doubt um i I wish we had kind of more of that demo because i don't think that's complete what circulates out there um just outstanding and if that's ace on you know lead there it's just it's so fluid it's just you know everything i love about kiss wrapped up in one demo mark your thoughts on it yeah again this is another example of something that i think is that's good about paul is that he tends to come up with more solid writing of a song even in presentation sense he seems to have more of an idea of what he wants to hear in the end and when he's even when he's writing a demo and it shows in his demos um what i like about it this this song is that he stepped away from his 12 bar antics and did make a some a riff that was very different, just like you said, Julian. You know, when the, when people must have heard it the first time, that whole opening, it then and then, and they must have been like, "Wow, it was something totally different from Paul Stanley at that point." And it's catchy. I think they definitely would have used it for sure. I think it would have stayed as the opener for sure because everything about it is catchy, strong, even in its demo sense. I mean, sure, there's those little melodies and the different differences in how he did the verse but you know it's it just would have needed a little thing here and there to have made it the way it was now if they would have played it a couple of more times in the studio and worked on it and worked on it maybe they would have made it even tighter and stronger and then maybe that whole arrangement that he had in mind there in the demo would have worked out perfectly and maybe we would have ended up loving it you know the the thing that's obviously missing from it is that whole middle breakdown part with the guitar solo and stuff like that that's missing but you know again that's where sometimes i have my issues with ezrin for example is, you know did he make it too over the top or too grandiose in detroit rock cities sense i would never say that because i really love that song top to bottom it's one of the rare pieces i think bob did with them that worked and i would have left it that way so that to me it's the thing that's missing from this demo but you know it is raw kiss still the demo and i think it could have worked this way i think and i think it would have showed up for sure on an album in this capacity ken how about you yeah this obviously made my album (laughs) uh it actually for me i would have led off the second side with this song Hmm. um uh i think it would be good lead off la la maybe love gun type thing you know off the second side um so the only thing I would have changed is I would have slowed it down. Not not a lot, but just slightly slowed it down. Uh, I think would have made it a little bit better. I think it's a little too, slightly too fast for me. Uh, just, just what I'm thinking on this demo, at least. Um, I slow it down a little bit. Not as, not you know, you know, drudging slow, but just still slightly slower. So the tempo down a little bit, but otherwise, it's it's a great song. And they probably would have uh, finished it off nicely. Had some, I don't know, you know how they had the mid- middle section for the, or that, uh, you know, twin guitar uh, part with uh, 
mm-hmm. in the middle that Bob Ezrin came up with, but the, the, I'm sure they would come up with something else that would have been, you know, decent uh, that would have worked for the song. So it's a great song. Yeah, if Ace is winging it, he's you know oh, yeah. he, he's firing on full cylinders there. You know, yeah. if, you know, God help us if that is Ace. Uh, I don't think doesn't <laughs> I, I, I don't think it's Binky. So. Let's get into let's go uh, from great to not so great, and I think this is another Gene one. I think love is not all right in this case. Um, Oddly, that's got a little bit of a groove going that I, I just think if they'd, you know, jammed it out a bit more, uh, maybe under the, the scheduling that they had, they just didn't have enough time to go anywhere other than love. It's all right. Yeah. It's all right. It's it's not there. I don't think it would make an album. But I, but I think it's got a foundation that could have been worked on into something at some point. And, you know, like we've said with Gene, he would have taken some part of that and recycled it somewhere else. Mark? Yeah, again, this is another example of just, you know, something came to him, Eureka, let's go and write it down real quick. And obviously with that lyric, it's just a, you know, let's just put something down just for the sake of an idea of where we want to put the vocal in or an idea of how the melody maybe could go. I don't think that they had any plan of keeping that lyric that way. I really hope not, because it's just not strong in any sense of the word. So, again... I, I always get that feeling with Gene stuff or even, you know, mainly with Gene stuff that he just puts stuff down as it comes to him. You know, even if it's just one good part, I have to record it so I have it. You know, so like he said, if he has 150 songs, you know, he may have 150 good individual parts in there. None of them will be all good, complete songs. Very rarely will he have a good, complete song ever. Right. So, um but that's, I think, a, a great example of that, where it's just like, here's a riff, maybe this groove we can work on and may turn it into something stronger, and here's a little idea I have for a vocal part, and that's it, you know? So that's that's what I basically think this demo was, and I don't think it would have been... It's not developed enough yet to be put on any kind of a record. Yeah, I think one thing's interesting. I don't think I've ever heard a Gene demo with a scat vocal on it. There's plenty where Paul just going, yeah, 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 you know, figuring out the melody. And I, I, I hadn't thought about that, Mark. So that, that's a great point of view. You know, whether or not he's working around the idea of he wants a lyric of Love is All Right or something to that effect, um, or whether he's got the music, chicken or an egg, you know, which one of these is coming first for yeah. Gene there? I don't think we know. And it's obvious that, you know, it's just, it's an idea piece. Ken, what's your take? Yeah, this song doesn't make the cut for me. Um, yeah, it's just monotonous and not very, not very good. Um, I think he says it's all right, it's all right. You know, so many times that Paul Stanley decided, well, I'm going to write a song, it's all right, and put it on my solo album. So, <laughs> which is much better, <laughs> you know, a hundred times better than this song. So, um, Paul did it right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or Gene, did it all right? Gene, it's <laughs> Gene not all right. Not. So yeah. Gene's on this song was was not all right. It's just yeah, it's it needs to be totally. Fin- I mean, it's a, it's a, it's just a quarter of a song, if anything, in my opinion. It's it's not going to work. Yep. 
good bass, good bass riff, and that's about it at that point. Let's get into something that Gene does nail it on for me, and this is one of my all-time favorite Gene songs. thousand faces mm-hmm. again this is another one of those it almost feels fully realized they've got some great guitar effects going on there a phaser or something um that i just love the tone of it it's crunchy it's way way better than his solo mm-hmm. album version um because it just has a rawness mm-hmm. left to it that it feels more organic more natural so that would be on my album without a doubt and it's also i think lyrically you know it's starting to draw them more into talking about themselves as characters and mm-hmm. everything that we can say about the song is a song whether it's 1978 or 1975 you know applies to me ken what's your do you like does it make your album yeah it makes my album it definitely makes my album and uh it's uh like you said it's it's more raw as which the way it should have been uh recorded um the other part i like about it too um is in the verses the way gene's singing him the verses is as much i would say kind of darker or more serious than uh on a solo album it's just it's just a better tone of his voice for this song um but the, the, the i've always liked the song in general uh, i've always liked it a lot even though it's too polished up on his solo album um, so yes it makes the cut and i think it's a great song it is a great song yeah, and that's one of the problems with any of these what-if discussions is that we're biased because the songs we like that made it out, it's kind of hard to go back and revisionist away. You're not going to make yourself not like them, are you? Because they're essentially the same thing. Mark, yeah, would this be on your yeah. album in its form? Uh, absolutely. I think this is one of the very rare times where uh, where Gene hits it out of the park for, for me because I think... This one was one of those Eureka moments where it was like a double Eureka. I think that he had a good guitar part. He had a good part for it. But I think more importantly, as you mentioned, you know, with him singing about himself in character, maybe, you know what I mean? And I think the lyric is what makes this strong, because I think that once he realized what he was going to sing about and what his song idea would be, sometimes when you come up with a really strong lyric, that you can get or get your head around, you can write music to it a lot better. I know that Dio, for example, has said many times where he had an idea for a song lyrically, and because the lyric to him was so strong, he was able to write strong music to it because he already had that vision of it. So I think this is one of those great examples of it where he might have came up with the lyric and had the lyric idea of a man of a thousand faces, and then everything kind of gelled with it because he had the idea. He could kind of picture it. And while I like this demo, and I think it's, you know, very solid, and I think in a proper studio situation, it would have turned out even better. I think when he went into the 78 to do the studio album, I think at that point, because they had already worked with Ezrin, he wanted to kind of take that idea and move it to the next level with those ideas that he's already been familiar with with Ezrin and just make it into that grandiose piece that he always maybe envisioned in his head but could never translate with just guitars and bass when he was doing the demo, right? But uh, I think that he could have, they could have made it into a fantastic song for this album if it would have been on the uh, Destroyer without Ezrin. And 
it, it could have I think it could have been one maybe one of the standout tracks because they could have did a lot with it even with just guitars. Take all the kind of orchestrating that they did with the orchestra stuff and kind of, you know, take that approach on guitar. You can still do things like that, right? So not to say that they would have because I don't think they they were they would have been in that place mentally without Bob. But mm-hmm. uh no orchestras. It, it, yeah, no, there, there wouldn't be. Mm-hmm. But I'm just saying that you can do that kind of stuff with lead playing too, where you can do little mm-hmm. kind of pieces like that. But they wouldn't have did that. But even without it, I think it's a strong, strong song. And I think mainly the reason why it's strong is because the riff and the lyrics are very strong together. Yeah, everything works. In it, you know, the the, yeah. cha- the time changes, the tempo, everything is there. A good song is a good song, as we've said already. Let's get into another one that may not be a good song for some of us. take a chance this is always one of my favorite demos because i got it so back early on in my demo collecting you know hobby so i've I've always liked it but it's a shit sandwich it's another one that is just you know it's obvious why they took the parts that worked and recycled them later it's not going on my album it's again it's too fragmented it's too many parts of the kitchen sink so ken yeah, it didn't. It didn't make my own. <laughs> so, uh, kind of, I reflect your thoughts, Julian, on this one. It's it's just, it's too much. There, I think it's almost similar, too much pulling from other stuff. I think it's it just sounds too similar to something else, and um, and it's it doesn't sound. Yeah, it's just not. It's not there. It's not complete. And it would. I is one of those ones you, you know, might want to skip. <laughs> If you had like a CD version or something, you know, I'm just gonna skip go to the next one. So, so, so theoretically, yeah. it could make the album as filler. Oh, there, yeah, yeah, uh, on a hot in the shade type. Uh, oh, th- yeah, let's not go there um, with all the extra songs. Yeah. Mark, what's your what's your take on it? I don't yeah. want no roundlands. I I I echo your guys' statement on this too. I mean, it's just. It's just not memorable, really, in its way that it is now, how they have it in there. And, uh, you know, it's, I don't know, compared to, like, I don't know what to say with it. Like, that's that's the point, is listening to it, nothing comes to me that really stands out in it. You know what I mean? Where, where it's, it's, a, it's almost like this old, everything that he's trying to say in this has been said already and probably said better in some of his other demos. So this is just like, you know, we've kind of heard these ideas and even though they probably picked out a few pieces, obviously for other things, it's in this arrangement and in this presentation, it's just nothing that I would have, if I was to hear all those songs that I would go back and say, Oh, by the way, Gene, let's go back to this song. You know, it just, there's nothing that really sticks out on this to me as ultra memorable. Yeah. It takes a couple of years to get that to the ladies room. So the pieces that that, (laughs) that become that song. Um, The next demo is my title track for a 1975 album without, um, without Ezra, and it's burning up a fever. Okay. I'll give you a chance. I'll burn it up with a fever. 
I love that. And and there's there's a few different demos of that. They'd cut this in January. At, uh, I think it was Larrabee. And it didn't make Dress to Kill, which is shocking. Um, Surprising. Yeah, considering how good it is compared, in my opinion at least, to some of the songs that did make that album. You know, again, everything that I said about Man of a Thousand Faces as a fully realized song, it's there. I would get rid of a couple of those uh, call-out backing vocals, uh, <laughs> which it just, they make me grin. Um, but otherwise, it's, it's great. And again, the guitar sounds, the sonics on this. Um, one thing I just want to go on a tangent about is... If you think that they had the quality of material for the box set in that sonic quality, I would love yeah, them just yeah. to release all of the magnographic demos on one CD, you know, or put it up on iTunes, you know, and to listen to this shit in that quality that we had on the box set would just be just so much fun, you know, call it Destroyer Genesis. What the fuck? We've had Destroyer Resurrected, now give us Genesis. You know, this, yeah. this is the stuff that could have been um love it mark what's your take on burning up you know and just like how you said um i'm gonna echo you in that sense too that how i talked about man of a thousand faces i would look at it the same way with this song again great riff that great guitar riff and again that was definitely the eureka moment and Obviously, those those lyrics, Burning Up With Fever, again, he had a vision. He had an idea lyrically. And I think that is the trick with Gene. If, I'm gonna, if I would give one word of advice to, to the present-day Gene now, is before you start writing anything musically for a new Kiss record, come up with some strong lyric ideas. Because I find that once he has those the music comes to him better. Like, I mean, those two songs are prime examples of that. You know, Man of a Thousand Faces and Burning Up a Fever, I think they're the one of the standout demos on these that we've listened to. And because of that, the the, the riffs are great. Even the ideas for, you know, the, 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 fa the effect on the guitar and everything. He had so many ideas already at that point for those songs because of how he kind of envisioned it in his head that that's what makes the demo good that's what makes people get excited when they hear demos like that and that's why producers and people like that would pull out a song like that and say yes we have to put this on our a list of songs to work on for a record great take ken how about you yeah this is just a, a great song great demo um it's, it's so much better like this than what ended up on jeans uh to me dean solo uh to me, man, they need to redo or remix Gene Simmons' solo album, re-release re it, and f and man, they can make this that album so much. Get rid of all that background vocal garbage that was going on in this song on the on his album. I mean, they can make it so much better. Imagine if they would have done it right way, Gene's album would have gone over, I think, a lot better than it did with a lot of kiss fans uh, um totally would have i mean they, maybe they can do a solo project and do all of them. i mean you know aces is pretty much perfect so they could do a but they could still put out you know the record company could do or universal just say re uh solo albums they're putting out they're going to re remix them all and they're going to call them call it you know refaced or something like that you know the solo albums refaced something like that but anyway so, so I, yeah, go ahead, Mark. 
No, I was just gonna say it almost like the idea of like what Beatles did with Let It Be, like the Let It Be naked, naked. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, same type of thing. Yeah, strip all that other crap off, and you know, give it the song. It's it's true good qualities and let it come out that way um that's the way it should have been um, so yeah this is a great song i don't know why it never made it on any album kiss regular kiss album it's, it's just beyond me yeah I, I think that uh the sales figures for destroyer resurrected and love gun deluxe put paid to universal being too keen on putting out anything you know it's just it such it, it's such a shame <laughs> you know that you know getting paid something for for something is not seen as being better than getting paid nothing for something and letting it continue to circulate freely. I, I don't get it. I, I don't understand. But I don't understand the business side behind the the rationale, and I'm sure there is one. Uh, we're going to stick with Gene for most of the rest of these. So let's just uh, pull up. So like Mad Dog for me, Rock and Rolls Royce obviously has the parts that became Love Em and Leave Em um, mm -hmm. on Rock and Roll yeah. Over. So it's got some good elements in it, but I love the fucking cowbell. You know, I just have that Saturday Night Live <laughs> yes. thing in my head when I listen to this. It's just dunk, dunk, you know. It, <laughs> yeah, that's my level of maturity. So uh, <laughs> it wouldn't make my album. Again, it's one that needs it, that has a lot of good ideas in it, but not one that works as a unified song. Ken, yeah, it does not make my album either. Um, again, there's all kinds of parts of songs in that that were finally pulled together into, like you said, love and leave and and that sort of thing. Um, I mean, he went from rock and roll. Rock and Roll Royce to Cadillac Dreams. I, I take Cadillac <laughs> Dreams over this for right now, the way this is. So, um, yeah, it's not it's not fully realized. I wouldn't use it. It's not that great. Nope. No, Mark. Yeah, um, I, I agree totally. I mean, again, this is one of those examples of maybe he had a part or two that he was pretty happy about, and just constructed the demo out of those parts and just added his little filler parts in to make it complete but again this is where i think sometimes gene can be a little too too smart for his own breaches there because it's like you he i can see he's trying to be all you know you know grade a student english student with his rock and rolls royce being all cute with that you know but i just don't think it works it's just it when i, re I remember the very first time i heard him say that i was like really rock and rolls royce like how tacky is that like you know and and i think of course that he when he thought he when he wrote it i'm guaranteeing you he thought that it was the coolest thing ever to sing that you know what's cooler than a rolls royce because he always seems to bring that up even in his book you know when he compares the rolls royce to the kiss that, that kiss book that monstrosity that 5,000 pound book there yeah. you know you know it's like come on you know it's it's just he had a i guess in this example he had a lyrical idea 
but this time it wasn't very strong nor a good idea, I think. And I don't think it helped with the music at all. I mean, luckily we did get a great song later out of it with Love Em, Leave Em. I, I, I've always liked that song. It's had a good, has a soft spot in my heart. But in this way, I'm glad that they didn't use it for you know what would have been Destroyer. And it would never have made the record in my eyes at this point either. It's just not realized enough. Yeah, so here's the funny thing on this. I had always thought um, that it was kind of based on a real-time, uh, a real-life incident. Um, November 75, they're in uh, Terre Haute, Indiana, and there's a chap, it made the press, there's a guy there called Jerry Chaplin who had a Rolls Royce, and following the show, the band were in the car, with him and were involved in a traffic accident so that's where i thought rock and rolls royce always <laughs> came from <laughs> unfortunately it occurs several months after the no. uh, the demo so that, that was just a, a bit of a bummer but something i thought that was really cool let's move on to the next uh, song here and again gene simmons <laughs> songs out again parts and we go back to the same thing that was said with love is all right that it's that's maybe gene's version of scatting just throwing words looking for a melody it doesn't make my album it's actually got promising possibilities musically for me um mm. but probably because it does get parts get recycled in there i can't uh, immediately identify where they went it's on his solo album somewhere uh or love gun um so i don't know but as a song in, in its own right, forget it. Ken? Yeah, I'm not going to say much about this song. It's, it's, it's not very good, and uh, it's kind of dull, uh, forgettable. So uh, it's not finished. It's just more thoughts, again, from Gene Simmons, uh, pieces, bits and pieces to, to try to create a song but it, uh, that he may use or pull from later on down the road. So, yeah, it doesn't make my album. Yeah, any musician's probably got dozens of songs like that. They're just stream of consciousness. Sure. I'm playing my guitar. I'm going places. I don't know where I'm going. I'm vocalizing some, you know, melody ideas to go along with what I'm playing, and they sit on well nowadays on my computer and never get opened again. Mark, what's your take on Nightfly? Yeah, it's 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 exactly what you guys said. I think it's that that in an, in a nutshell is just him coming up with ideas, hoping that when he's doing this, because I do that a lot as well, I find. I open up my Pro Tools, grab my guitar. Like when I'm writing, when I'm going to go write a record, I'll just hit record and just with no idea of what I'm doing and just start playing, 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 you know. And I know that lots of bands have done that. Genesis are notorious for that. Phil Collins was, in fact, given the, the task of being the archivist of that where they'd have boxes and boxes of tapes of them jamming and he would have to go through each one of them every night and say okay i like three minutes and 10 seconds this riff here 20 minutes and 10 seconds i like this part here and they would dissect it 
and make songs out of it. Now, it worked nice with Genesis, but I think that they didn't put as much detail into it, Kiss, with this kind of an idea. I think he just went in, you know, just played something, put it down, tried to see if he can come up with something vocally with it, and, you know, it's just not very strong. I mean, if you listen to it, the verse into the chorus... He's done that transition so many times on his demos. It's like you've heard that a hundred times already. And, and the chorus is just, you know, you can tell it was just on the spot. Like, I mean, so weak, even the singing of it, night flight. So effortless. It doesn't even sound like Gene, you know. It's so, you know, it's it's just not realized. It's just, you know, entry point blueprint ideas for a song. And hopefully he can think of something better down the road with the ideas. Yeah, you know, Genesis is a great example. Another good one, you know, but more contemporary is Metallica. You know, think mm. of what, remember Kirk Hammett, who uh, lost his iPhone, which had hundreds of riffs on it, which is why his excuse yeah. for not being as involved with uh, Hardwired. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, hi, Kirk. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize he, he just lives over there, so, you know. Yeah, there you go. That's why some shit I play sounds very similar to what's on the new Metallica album. Kirk, <laughs> riff stealer. All right, I'm a star. <laughs> is a star doesn't have much money um <laughs> you know my fancy clothes do you love me that's i mean it seems that paul rewrote i'm mm. a star as do you love me for destroyer right uh, with so much of the sentiment of where he was going at least lyrically i i like the underlying riff it's kind of again a nice chugging mm, yeah. rocker i don't think he knew where he was lyrically melody or anything it's incomplete so I like the idea that Gene brings a demo to the sessions for this new album called I'm a Star, and Paul Stanley says, but I'm a star, I'm going to rewrite that, and comes up with Do You Love Me. Um, so that's as much as I want to say on that. Mark? You know what, as, as, as much as you're kind of being, I don't, I'm not sure if you're being serious about that or if you're being humorous with that idea, uh, I actually think that, that could there could be some merit in that, because... I could imagine if they brought that in there that maybe some light bulbs went up over a few people's heads when they said, hey, you know, it's not a bad idea for a song, but obviously Gene is just not, you know, he's just not, you know, envisioning it or singing it in a way that would make sense, you know, musically. You know, it, it's it's a good idea, you know, the whole I'm a star. It would work in perfectly with Paul Stanley, obviously, right? So as it is in its demo sense, it's again it's not nothing that would make somebody sit up and take notice i think i think if anything they would have maybe have sat up and take notice about the content of where the idea might be coming from because you know any way you look at it you present somebody with a song called i'm a star they're gonna say okay what is he gonna say in here i mean that or that in a sense is a statement so how are you gonna back up that statement and maybe that's where 
they got the idea to make, you know, do you love me and stuff like that, right? So I think it's a, I think that you might have, you know, even if you might have been joking with that, I think that you might have been onto something with that. I think it's could be pretty close to what actually happened. Yeah, I, I mean, it could have become a band effort of like, oh, we like the overall sentiment, or it may harken back to, you know, kind of the incident with the uh, the band Pentagram, who had a song Star Lady, you know, that uh, mm. the band had apparently tried to purchase. I don't know whether it was uh, around this time or, or whatnot that it's, you know, coming from there. So certainly, you know, not without a possibility that it would get developed by, you know, probably Gene and Paul together. Ken. Well, it's funny. This song, I put it on my album as the last song on the album, and I actually wrote down that Paul would sing it. Hmm. Um, I did. It's it's right here on paper. So, uh, and I thought, well, the only thing I think they would have probably reworked uh, a, a good chorus uh, into it. I, the verses are okay. It's kind of a dark kind of feel, but uh, I think they would have come up with the chorus. Maybe, like you, like you said, it would have. They would have put their heads together and developed it into a better song or Paul would have just said, oh, I'm going to write something, you know, uh, do you love me or something like that similar. So yeah, I, I put it on there and thinking Paul would sing it and they would, would have worked it up to make it better uh, enough to fit as the 10th song of the album. Yeah. Well, I don't think it would make mine judging by my notes here, which say, I only have one word written down next to it. Dreadful. Uh, <laughs> you know, I actually just going back one song uh, since I'm looking at my notes now for the first time in a while. Uh, Nightfly kind of develops into Sweet Pain. It's got the basic uh, mm. elements there, so who knows what would happen with that? Let's Sweet. move on. We've only got a couple more here. So, Howling for Your Love. You see you in your dreams tonight. Okay. Uh, yeah, howling for your love. I, I love that when the moon comes out, my heart goes bumpity bump. You know, that's some that's just some cool Gene Simmons there. He's got some great lyric ideas in this one, but again, it's a bit like Bad Bad Loving that it's multiple song. I mean, it's schizophrenic. It's got multiple personality disorder. It's doesn't know what it wants to be. It's got a lot of good stuff fighting to get out, but uh, in the end, all it ends up doing is fighting with itself. So it wouldn't make my album, but I don't think that he wouldn't have uh, not gone back and written a song howling for my love because it's just too good of a song title ken yeah again i put it i put this on my album as number nine so it's obviously the 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 songs are dropping off as it goes along towards the end of the album uh but i put it on there thinking that they you know it was was a decent song that they could have uh slightly reworked a little bit to to make it better it's not a horrible song uh, but i think it might have been developed to to make the album yeah, and there's a couple of different demo versions of that that circulate. Mark. Yeah, but pretty much the uh, same same train of thought as you guys. Um, again, lyrically, he seems to have more of an idea what to do with it this time than some of the other ones. But again, it it needs it just needs work. A, a lot of the times, unless he has a really really pinpointed strong idea of where to go with his songs. 
it just seems to drift, you know? It's like, if he has an idea for a chorus and that's it, then maybe that's all you'll get as a strong part of the song, and the rest of it will just be complete filler. But, I mean, th- this song is nowhere near the level of writing that he did with the uh, Man of a Thousand Faces nor mm. Burning Up With Fever, right? So, and then, then again, it just that, that this is just going back to the old, um, I'm sitting down, I want to come up with an idea for a song. Let me just record a few things and uh, put down a couple of ideas and get back to it. And I think that he sometimes approaches that that way because I think that it's clear that maybe even in his mind that it's not going to be a fully realized song at this point, but it's good enough for him to record that he can maybe work on it and develop it later on, which he does with a lot of the songs, as we've already mentioned a few times. Yeah, and that's a great point. That segues beautifully into True Confessions, which for me, I mean, that, that's another one of his fully realized. It's a brick. It's not a collection of pebbles. Um, so let's play a little bit of that one. Yes, you can. Ooh, yeah. That, I mean, again, better than the '78 version for me because it's just, again, more raw rock, kiss-oriented. Um, you know, for the th- I think it's three: "Man of a Thousand Faces," "Burning Up a Fever," and "True Confessions," all of which made his solo album. They are just fantastic songs, and that's all I can say. A good song for me. It hits me. It works. It's on the album. Ken. Yeah, I agree. This made my album uh, number seven cut on the uh, album. And again, it's just like I said before with the other song, uh, you know, if they were stripped down all that extra crap, it would have been much better. I think, though, they should have, uh, on this demo at least, uh, I would have liked a little bit uh, more tempo, uh, increase the tempo a little bit of it. But otherwise, it's a good song. And uh, it should have made, well, it would have made the album or could have made the album uh, if you know the alternate destroyer i think it would have made it mark yeah uh, i i fully agree i think this is a great song um why it didn't make it at this point is you know anybody's guess but the, it you bring up a good point the the whole point of the good song is a good song is a good song and an example of what a good song is is just that that you could have it it's so good the song that you could have it in this raw sense and it would work really well and it's a good song in that people will listen to it and have so many other ideas they would put to it like how he did it for the 78 version of it you know and who's to say for example if let's say somebody like a bob azarin went and said okay we're going to use this on destroyer what it's such a good song imagine what he could have maybe did with it you know a good song will make the gears start going in people's minds, whether it's a musician, a producer, or whatever. And I just think that this is one of the great examples of a song that, even in its most elemental form in this demo, stands out and makes people sit up and take notice and want to work on it and use it. And I, I would definitely put it on the record. 
you know, the song's always been in my top half of the good songs on Gene's solo album. But when I first heard this demo, it gave me a new appreciation of that song. It made me go back and listen to it, and again, and kind of filter out some of the excessive production stuff that's been laid on top of the 1978 recording. And that's why I can now say it's a good song. I mean, True Confessions, I wouldn't say was awesome on 1978 um, on, on his solo album. Simple as that. So we're down to the last song, and this one... Uh, would probably have been considered as a candidate just because there aren't that many other um, songs in this batch. And this goes back to January again of 75, and it is Mistake. Would they have made a mistake? a mistake indeed um i don't think i don't think they would ever revisit that it's it's one that's hung around since 74 um maybe they would have just because it's a completely different style just like you get hard luck woman on rock and roll over it's a it's a yep. it's a contrast piece uh, maybe they could have done something with it i like the bass I, I will say that's you know gene playing honest to goodness just basic bass you know just basic traditional kind of rock bass rather than doing anything in the more metallic kind of um, way. So I don't think it would, but you never know. They would have said, well, maybe we just need something a little bit different on this album. Uh, Ken, what do you think on Mistake? I actually like this song. And uh, it would have been, I put it on there as number eight on on the album. And I would have had, I wrote down, uh, I would have had Peter singing the song. So that's, Right, but I think they would have maybe take some of the. They have a little bit of this country element in it, uh, uh, music in it, and I would have maybe kind of strayed away from that, but uh, more maybe kept it more in the like hard luck woman sense, uh, acoustic um, style. And uh, though I like the song, I think it's a good song. I think it would have went over pretty darn well with with Peter singing it. I could I could see him singing it. So it could have been their it could have been their Beth possibly um, instead of you know Beth. So I'm thinking it could have been that replacement there, and I like it. Yeah. So with a, with a nice twelve string guitar and good quality. I mean, if we could even hear exactly it, that, that demo's not there, you know, or steel guitar and the slide. I mean, shit. You know, they released the album March 76 and Mistake goes to number nine on the country western charts. And <laughs> it's the end of crossover the crossover hit. It's the, it's the first major crossover hit. And Kiss takes off the leather. And Mark, would it be a yeah. mistake? <clears throat> well, I, I look at it this way. The first time I heard this, the first couple of times, I, I thought that this was the root of you know, hard luck woman. I thought this is maybe where it came from, you know, because it it has that similar sort of feel to it. <clears throat> but I've, I think that in the way it's presented there, it would have scared off a lot of people. That whole pedal steel slide thing was a little too countryish. I think yeah. for people who were in the kiss camp, they're probably thinking, what the hell are you doing? Like you can't do that, you know, but like you said, if you were to strip away some of it, strip that away, Give him a normal 12-string guitar, you know, and maybe add a little bit more of a 
oomphier rhythm section to it, mm-hmm. then maybe it could have worked out in the way of how a hard luck woman did work out for them. You know, I think the idea of having Peter sing it is a great idea. Now, would they have done it at that point? Yeah, they probably would have because they've always given Peter a song up, up to that point, yeah. right? So why not give it to him to sing? And you know, it it has potential. Like he's like he said, a good song is a good song is a good song. Now. You know, I think what makes people kind of turn their nose up on this song is that s- slide, because it gives it so yeah. much of a country element to it. I think that's where people go, Ew, okay, no, no, no. You know, so if you get rid of that element, mm-hmm. are you suddenly more open to it to work on it and to develop it into a song that could work? Yeah, good points. Great. So, you know, as we kind of we come to the end of this, does Beth get a peek in? We know it exists. But was it only ever used because of Ezrin, or would they have perhaps said, well, you know, Peter's singing one of these songs that we've we've kind of mentioned, no matter what, because he would have quit the band or threatened to quit the band if he didn't get a song on the album. Um, you know, does Beth enter into this picture at all? Would they have taken the risk without Ezrin kind of maybe forcing them for the same reason, or would they have gone with something a leftover from earlier in the year like Mistake, simply for that contrast, and Beth would have been and never been so that, that's kind of do either of you have beth on your albums no i don't have it on there i just think they they wouldn't have done it wouldn't i don't think they they would have given peter any uh song i i, I think paul and gene would have pretty much said forget it you know we're not going to do that um because up to that point had Peter brought any music to the, to the band? No, nothing has made it. I still think nothing would have it would have not made it. Um, I think you know, great expectations would have maybe made it instead. From Gene. Yeah, okay. I guess yeah. That, that's a possibility, Mark. Well, I I, th- I think that they would have maybe have listened to it, but I think that the 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 train of thought would have been okay. Well, here's yours. Here's mistake. I think mistake is stronger than this, so we're gonna get you to sing this. And I think that's really what it would have all boiled down to, because in its rawest form, I don't think Beth is as strong in its raw sense as a mistake is. So, and that's really when you're going and working with a producer or not working, or if you're just working with a band, you get together, you present all your stuff, and you sit down and dwindle it down to your best material. And that's how it should be. There shouldn't be no egos about it. I know we're talking about kiss but you know there shouldn't be that shouldn't be that element there you should be working on the best material that you have presented to you and work on that and make it a great record so i think that mistake would have been they chosen over beth yeah i think if beth does show up on this album that it's as a more kind of soft electric version you know if it even gets a look in you know, there's not much differences between Beck and Beth as it ultimately came. But I don't think you, you end up with any of the Ezra and Magic on it. There's going to be no orchestra. There's going to be no, you know, uh, doubling the guitar chords with piano chords. Um, you know, all, all those little tricks that he uses to really bring out the kind of the melody in the in the music. So I think it, it would be more like, like they performed early on um you know kind of an electric version of it so yeah uh let's go to your track listings because you know for this non-ezrin follow-up to alive 
you know, we I, I don't think I actually did one, so I'm going to wing mine. So while I give some thought, Ken, you obviously wrote one down. What's your album? Well, what's the name of the album? What's yeah, the name and the, the track. Uh, well, first of all, the name of the album is is Destroyer. Still going to be Destroyer because where did that come from anyway? It didn't come from the songs that were on the album. So I'm going to still go with Destroyer. I'm still going to grow with that. The album cover is still going to be the same. Uh, because it, you know, I think they were just going that direction anyway, so that stays the same. The, the track listing number one, I lead off with smoke, number two, God of Thunder, number third, the third song is Burning Up with Fever from Gene, and then the fourth song is Don't You Hesitate of Paul, and then. Uh, five is Man of a Thousand Faces. So that ends the first side of the album, Man of a Thousand Faces. Then second side starts off, with, like I said before, with uh, Detroit Rock City. And then seven is True Confessions. And then eight, Mistake. Nine, Howling for Your Love. And ten, I'm a Star. Nice. And that's, what I would do with good. I'm a Star, because I didn't say it before... I would have, again, they fixed the, the chorus a bit, but then I would have made it into a longer song and maybe some an ace kind of just going off for like a, just a, a musical part towards the end of the song, just let him go and, and then slowly fade that out. So that's what I'd go. <laughs> well, if you, if you do that, you got to let Peter Chris have a seven-minute drum solo in one of those songs. Yeah, why can't I have it? Got to got to keep it fair, Mark. Did you do it? Did you do a track order, or do you have your uh, nine or ten songs that you would have on the alternative well, destroyer? I I I have my eight that I would have put. I would have probably kept it as an eight song thing, but I would have definitely started with Detroit Rock City. Um, I would have probably gone into Man of a Thousand Faces then. Then uh, third, I would have did God of Thunder. And I would have ended side one with Burning Up With Fever. Then I would have flipped it and would have did a Don't You Hesitate for the start of the next side. Then Smoke. Then number seven, I'd do the I'm a Star song, which obviously needs to be worked up a bit, but the idea is there. And uh, number eight, I'd close it with Mad Dog. Yeah, good selections. I mean, I have not done a track listing, uh, but you know what? It starts with Detroit Rock City. It's got Burning Up With Fever, Truth, Confessions, uh, Man of a Thousand Faces, Smoke. Don't You Hesitate. I mean, Don't You Hesitate is just a given and God of Thunder. You know, so those are the sort of songs in a Destroyer Genesis album that I would include. So, you know, that that's basically the show, folks. You know, it's take the songs that are on the Magnographic demos and make an album out of it thinking that Bob Ezra never comes into the picture. You know, what would you see in this what-if situation? Which of these songs or demos do you think would make an album without Bob having his hands involved and turning it into the magic that was Destroyer? Um, You know, it's going to be a rock album. It's not going to have symphonies. It's not going to have choirs. So we'd love to hear your take on that. And, you know, why don't you listen to some of these demos? They're freely available on YouTube since Universal doesn't want to release them. Um... You know, and put together what would be your eight, nine, or ten song alternative destroyer. We'd love to hear your thoughts on some of our selections and let us know yours. 
So we thank you for listening to us. Do join us again and follow us on Facebook, on the FAQ Message Board, and Spreaker. Bye for now. Thank you for spending time listening to the KISS FAQ podcast today. All sales are final. There are no refunds. If you'd like, look us up on Facebook or come over to the KISS FAQ Message Board and discuss the topic we've broadcast today. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes, Spreaker, or wherever you've listened to the show. We hope you'll join us again. Thank you.